0: Welcome everyone to the streaming water podcast i uh am here today with uh, a very uh knowledgeable guest daniel williams uh he works in einc uh instrumentation controls scada and we'll explain what all those terms mean or he will uh as we get going but thanks for being here daniel uh glad to have you on the show i met you at the rmwa conference where you presented a paper and uh, i was intrigued about uh you know EINC, cybersecurity, all that is, is top of mind now for Water and Wastewater Utilities. So thanks for being here, man.
1: Thanks. I appreciate you having me on.
0: Right on. So I guess first off, maybe uh, just introduce yourself and, and your background, where you work now, your your position title and kind of how, how you got to where you are.
1: All right. Uh, So like I said, my name is Daniel Williams. I work for the city of Loveland currently. I am the SCADA slash INC supervisor here, so I, I do the supervisor for all of our instrumentation and control technicians, as well as all of our SCADA programmers. Um, I I kind of Fell into this, uh, this industry, realistically, um, I've been in IT, you know, since the 90s, since the days of AOL, I was developing websites for AOL stuff. Since
0: that dial up where it would be like, 28.8k yeah. beep, beep,
1: beep, yeah. 20, 28, 28. modems and stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, since, since way back in the day, I've kind of been in the IT realm. Um, I've always been interested in programming since the internet came around because it was just really cool to me. Um, so I did that for a long time. And then I got into the tattoo industry. Um, I tattooed professionally for, well, I still do. Um, I've tattooed professionally for 22 years now. Um, but I specifically focused on tattooing for yeah, probably 10 years um, until I had my second child and I discovered that it is really expensive paying for kids with no insurance. <laughs> um, and you know, the tattoo industry doesn't have, uh, doesn't have retirement. There's no, you know, like none of the, none of the benefits we get. Yeah. Here.
0: Not a great benefits package. There. No,
1: no, not at all. Um, so I, I actually ended up, I started at JBS, the meatpacking plant in Greeley. I started out there cutting meat. Um, I eventually, I only did that for about a month. Uh, I went into their shipping department. They got my resume with all my IT stuff on it, and they felt like I'd be a good fit for their shipping department. Um, While I was in their shipping department, you know, they've got big palletizers and stuff. And sometimes they, you know, mess up or whatever, you know, whatever happened with the, the machines. And we'd have to call one of their technicians to come and repair it. And after watching their technicians repair this stuff for a long time, I was like, well, I don't really need to call these guys because I know what I need to do. Um, So I started fixing it myself. And the engineer there said, hey, do you want to come be a controls technician? (laughs) I'm like, well, I've built power supplies for tattoo machines, but that's all of my electrical experience. Um, And he was like, that's okay. We'll teach you what you need to know. And I, I just, with my IT background, it worked really, really well with the P- PLC and SCADA programming side of stuff. Um, they actually taught me all of the electrical side of stuff. And the, I, I kind of took the PLC side of stuff and ran with it. So within, you know, the first two years, I greatly exceeded the skill set of my supervisor and my trainers. And, you know, that that's just how my mind works.
0: Yeah, that is um, a, I've heard yeah. jumps before, but they're usually small jumps. Like I went into environmental, I ended up in in mechanical engineering. I studied environmental science. I ended up in the lab, but to go, I cut meat, ended up in IT. That's a, that's a, <laughs> that's a, that's a transition, man.
1: Well, you know, I went there with a plan though. Um, I did, I, I did go there with a plan. I, when I went there, I was like, okay, well, what is the highest pay, paying hourly position that I'm interested in? And that was the electrical technician job. So okay. I had already intended on finding some way to move my way there. uh, It just so happened that they got to me before I got to them. Nice. Um, Yeah, yeah, it was fun. It was definitely an interesting and and I've loved it ever since, you know, I've ever since then I've been able to take a deep dive uh, into what I like to do before. So I stayed at JBS for about five years and I couldn't learn anymore there. You know, I had, I had exceeded what I could possibly learn there. They, They were bringing in, new technology. They weren't bringing in new equipment. Um, you know, so it was just kind of reactionary working on the same thing over and over again. Uh, so I ended up going out into the oil field. Um, and I worked out there for a few years and I did SCADA for Noble Energy. Um, and that's where I really got to start taking a deep dive into the SCADA and programming side because of so much regulatory information. Uh, JBS did have some regulatory stuff, but nowhere near like the oil field, you know, and, and, no remote sites either at JDS, you know, it was all one facility. Uh, so it was kind of a new world going into going to work for Noble Energy, where we had all these remote sites, all these different types of communications between, you know, Modbus and all these radios that we had, we had microwaves. Um, so that that got me into a whole new world of, wow, like, okay, I really see how far I can take this um and I did that with Noble Energy for I think about two and a half, three years before the city actually reached out to me and asked if I'd like to come work here.
0: Nice. Uh, and how long have you been in Loveland?
1: Um, I've been here for almost seven years now.
0: Almost and I saw recently you got a promotion, right?
1: Yeah. That hey, was, congratulations. Uh, thanks. I appreciate it. Um yeah, it's it's really weird because the, the two of the guys that uh work under me. One of them actually trained me at JDS. Wow. You know, he's the one that started my whole career off in this. Um, So when I got here and they told me, hey, we need somebody else. We need another one of you. That was the first guy that came to mind. And I'm like, okay, we got to get Andy over here. Um, And then the other guy's been here for 35 years now. Um, So it's it's really weird kind of being the supervisor of, uh, you know, people that have taught me so much. Yeah. (laughs)
0: That's good though. Y'all know each other. You know your skills. You know your weaknesses, your strengths. You compare them together. So, yeah, that's good. Is uh water and wastewater a lot different than oil and gas or meat packing? Like, or is it's it all similar?
1: Different. Um, no, no. It's it, it's extremely different than the meat packing plant. There, we had more more like robotic hydraulics type stuff. Um, you know, so I mean, really, really big machines made to cut meat, pack it, uh, stuff like that uh less regulatory require way less regulatory requirements. Um the, the the types of communications they used there were so old and rudimentary and you know that that's a, a a for-profit industry so they're trying to pinch pennies as much as they can they don't tend to uh they don't tend to improve their technology unless it's forced upon them. Yeah. Um the oil field a little bit different because of who I worked for with Noble Energy They were a really big driver of the regulatory requirements for the oil field in uh, in Colorado. Um, To me, the part of that was regulatory capture. I don't know if you're familiar with that economic theory, Um, but uh, so essentially regulatory capture is basically, uh, you know, a big company that has a lot of resources can push for more and more stringent regulations and end up pushing regulations to be so stringent that smaller companies can't keep up with the technology required to keep up with those regulations. So then they absorb those companies because they can't keep up. Um, to me, that seems to be a lot of the driving factor in my opinion with the, with any oil company that's pushing for regulations.
0: Wow. Well, it's like you got to assimilate with the Borg.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> So, but the way, you know, the, between the oil field in here, again, completely different types of technologies, less analyzers, um, out in the oil field, you know, the same, I did work with a lot of the same stuff as far as pressure transducers, level transducers. A lot of that definitely crosses over into water and wastewater. Yeah. Um, from the oil field. But then, you know, when we get onto the water side of stuff, there's more, okay, well, we got to do chemical composition of water. We need to know what our temperatures are, what our pH is, you know, chlorine, fluoride. Like we need all these com- chemical compositions. And then the process of taking, you know, either raw water and converting it to drinking water or, you know, taking the wastewater and reclaiming the water. Uh, out of it, the, the whole process and the biology, it's all just so much different from the oil field. And it's what keeps me engaged here. You know, it's like, I keep learning. There's so much to learn and it's constantly improving and, you know, regulations are getting, you know, more and more stringent. And then the oil field has always had a little bit of a, a focus on cybersecurity, but not that much. Um, the water, water though being a critical utility, um, Especially lately, with all the stuff that's been happening, we're getting to have to focus more and more on cyber, the cybersecurity side of stuff. Uh, especially like the integration of all of these technologies that can connect to the internet or yeah. to some kind of a network, right? So you've got a pressure device out there, you know, that's that's talking over some kind of a wireless, uh, a wireless network. Um, it requires a lot more security, a lot more forethought. But it also allows us to get more and more information, optimize processes a lot better, uh, you know, and just be better overall at what we do. um, Hopefully, at a reduced cost to the consumer out there. Right? The better we can improve our our technologies, and the better and the more secure we are at it, the better service we can provide. Cool.
0: Well, it's interesting to know you started at. JBS, because I started my career in the same place. It was called Monfort back then yep. as a uh, <laughs> USDA food inspector for the Food Safety Inspection Service.
1: Okay. Yeah, so you so actually worked I with me we would at be, plus uh, cameras. What's with what? Did they have the E plus V cameras when you were there? The, it's no, man. No. I, no, I
0: got there. I thought it'd be Petri dishes and cameras and microscopes. And they give you a knife and like a chain mail apron. And they're like, hack into these really? parts, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So I lasted yeah. like two years and I was like, I gotta, I gotta go this, uh, which is the best decision I made. Cause that's when I went into water, but, uh, you got to start somewhere. So. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and I've worked a lot with the USDA guys up there. Uh, they have since in, in, improved their technology up there for grading the meat and they actually have cameras that do it now, but then they have the, uh, USDA that verifies the actual grade as well. Yeah. With cameras. Uh, my stepdad actually worked there when it was Montforts.
0: Oh, Oh, cool all right well uh enough about the past let's move into the future and this is a question i got for you uh, i asked people around where i work you know co-workers what what question would you have i told them the topic of the uh episode and they said uh, ask him how he would describe skater to his grandma because they're so like skater. even people in it do skater. even people like me in the industry have a hard time explaining SCADA and what what all is involved in that. So can you take us, how would you describe that to your grandma or to a fifth grade class that you're talking to?
1: So I think there's a couple of different uh, parts that, that need to be understood to understand SCADA regardless of who you're uh, explaining it to. Um, and one is, what is all this stuff we're getting the information from, right? Um, because SCADA is really, we're collecting information in order to allow us to either, uh, optimize our operations or our process or perform some kind of, uh, you know, analyzation on the data for predictive analytics, predictive maintenance, stuff like that. Uh, so it's really helpful to understand where that information comes from. Um, and I, I, you know, I bet the best, I think the best way to explain it and to is, uh, your house, um, So you've got a, 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 you know, a temperature uh, transducer. You've got a thermostat at your house, right? Um, And you want your temperature to be something specific. So you set that temperature to be something specific. And there's a device that is measuring the temperature within your house somewhere. You've got a thermostat somewhere that's measuring that temperature. And then we're taking that back into the device. So we know when to shut your furnace off, right? Um, So that's basically where all of our information comes from is we've got some kind of a device out in maybe a water tank that's giving us a reading of a level of that water tank. So we want to know when that when that level is fluctuating. We want to know how much time it takes for that level to fluctuate. Um, And we want to know how we can attenuate that tank most efficiently to provide what we need to for Uh, The customer. So we've got to have some kind of device there that's giving us that indication. And SCADA is really taking the values from that device, so we can analyze those values to determine how we can attenuate attenuate that tank, you know, most efficiently. Um, I think that's a good way to explain it. The way I I explain it to my kids, though, is that I make some shit do other shit. (laughs) <laughs> you know Man, it's like a robot you're really
0: breaking it down now
1: i'm basically telling a robot what to do minus uh you know minus and it's not as complicated as a robot
0: yeah nice well yeah, okay. i mean you mentioned the tank levels uh what other kind of things does SCADA control What what's important at water and wastewater wow. plants that you operate that that comes through that SCADA system that that's a, that's key to uh being plugged into that
1: so i think the biggest parts of water wastewater plant uh, are the regulatory requirements on, on data that we, are re- that we have to keep, um, number one. But number two, to make sure that we are meeting the regulatory qu- requirements for, say, a chlorine level uh, that propagates throughout the system or the pH of your water. Uh, specifically, I mean, pH is, is really, really big. I know most people are familiar with the Flint, Michigan issues, Uh, And one of the biggest issues that they had in that plant was their, they changed their water source and their pH was different from their raw water source. So as that pH started propagating through the system, it started leaching lead out of, you know, old pipes, old infrastructure, um, and it started getting into the water system. So with, if, with a proper SCADA system, you should already know that your pH has changed. And you should be able to adjust your chemical composition to make that pH what you need it to be in your system to prevent issues like that. Um, So chemical composition is huge, especially in water treatment. Um, Wastewater is more biologically driven. Um, You know, so we've got we've got bugs in there, you know, that essentially pull out a lot of the nutrients from the waste that comes into the plant. And we need to be able to know kind of what those bugs are doing. So we're able to monitor certain parameters like the oxygen in the basin that those bugs exist in so that we can keep it a good enough environment for them to exist. Um, So all of this data is what we're pulling back so that we know that we're operating our plant efficiently. Um, And, and we can take a lot of that data that we're collecting. And as we get larger and larger data sets, you know, we can take a data set for two years and say, okay, well, whenever we make this change to say a chemical output, this is what can potentially happen down the road. and, And we've got a big enough data set to make those correlations that, you know, it allows us to get more of an idea of long-term effects on stuff. And it allows us to automate processes better, Yeah, uh, you know? So we could take a massive data set of say, like weather, um, we could take the, the, the weather for the past five years, and then we can correlate that with water usage. And we can correlate that with our chlorine residual, as well as pH and determine how can we automate this pumping system so that we don't have to turn pumps on and off when we don't need to, but still keep the, the parameters that we're trying to keep, uh, and still keep the values within the parameters that we're trying to keep them in.
0: And yeah. Sense, right. Yeah. No, it does to me because like, uh, yeah, the plant I've learned, like, especially wastewater, you can't shut it off as 24 seven. Yeah. And every, every kilowatt hour counts. Right. So if you can make yeah. uh, a few, a savings of a few kilowatt hours per day over 365 days a year—that saves you a lot of money, a lot of rate payers' bills. So, yeah, I think
1: yeah, that's that, huge. Yeah, we we, we recently uh, we recently put in—it's called a filter smart in our filters, and it basically it measures the turbidity flow and level. Um, so we can we could understand like where our backwash because we knew it wasn't as efficient as it could be. Um, I made changes a couple of years ago to the programming that probably saved us like, I don't know, a couple fifty thousand gallons during backwashes. Um, you know, so that's that and that's quite a bit when you figure we have uh, sixteen, four, eight, twelve, we've got twenty filters. Um, so you multiply that by you know, twenty filters and It ends up being a lot, especially over a summer when you're continually backwashing those filters and then, you know, we've got we got this other device and we're like, hey, well, let's see how well we can make this work. Um, And so far, it's actually allowed us to reduce the flow coming in by a significant percent. I mean, by thousands and thousands of gallons backwash so you know and that's that's where that SCADA data comes comes in handy it's hey how can we make this more efficient we need to get a better product to our customers and we need to not drive up costs as we're doing it yeah yeah so i guess
0: yeah. we never uh i guess you know you gave uh the grandma definition but what does SCADA actually stand for maybe we should tell our listeners what uh what SCADA actually stands for
1: so SCADA is supervisory control and data acquisition Um, So the supervisory control part of it is basically your operators controlling your plant. You've got some kind of an interface on your computer that is giving you a visual representation of your plant and the operators can say, turn a valve off and on or turn a pump off and on, uh, control the flow to a filter plant, something like that. But it also gives them that live data uh, that they need to know that their plant is operating efficiently. So They have right there in front of them all of the pH coming out of the plant, and they know if that value starts to stray, that they need to make some kind of change to the plant.
0: Cool. All right, let's move into – and this is another topic I know you're you're at the forefront of, but cybersecurity, you mentioned it in your intro, but cybersecurity seems to be bubbling to the top, and and there's different – you know, laws as far as the water side of doing cybersecurity assessments. But what what worries you as far as cybersecurity and its tie-in with with operational technology and this whole SCADA piece of it?
1: Um, man, five years ago it didn't even matter. <laughs> um, you know, or at least not to the point that it does now. We always had the understanding of segmentation of networks and stuff like that, but we didn't have Uh, You know, like what happened in Florida, where we had people kind of getting credentials, stole technology from old operators and being able to get into your SCADA interface or your HMI and crank up levels of chemicals. Um, So especially a, a really big driver of part of this has actually been the war between Russia and the Ukraine, where Russia has been performing a lot of cyber attacks against their ot systems trying to drive down their critical infrastructure um and that's not the beginning of it i mean it, it really the 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 cybersecurity with ot uh really started uh, god what was it ten, 10 years maybe 10 years ago or more is it 2022 sometime sometime in the early 2000s or something like that um there was they there was an attack on the oil field uh, the OT over in, I believe it was Iran or something like that. Um, and then there was there there were a few other types of like viruses or malware that was put out to target OT infrastructure. But for the most part, uh, cybersecurity really came in with the IT side of stuff because the hackers weren't they didn't know about critical infrastructure. They didn't care about critical infrastructure. They cared about information. Um, and information comes from it, right. Information technologies. Um, so they were trying to hack to get, uh, you know, social security numbers, bank account numbers, credit card numbers, stuff like that. Or, you know, maybe, maybe some kind of a denial of service for a website that they just didn't like, um, you know, so, so you always had those groups in it. You always had that cybersecurity mindset in it. Uh, when I was building websites, they were always done with, how am I going to prevent somebody from taking this down, from modifying something on my website? You know, like this is, it's not as critical, Um, but we still had that in mind in the OT world, really just in the past few years uh, we we've had to focus on cybersecurity because we've got what's known as the industrial internet of things coming along. And that's where we were talking about like sensors that connect to wireless networks or, uh, you know, passing a lot of like the SCADA data that we get, that's now being passed along to enterprise networks for analysis for, you know, a, a deeper a deep dive analysis on process improvement, operations, improvement, stuff like that. So it's no longer constrained to these little islands where that operational operational technology exists. Um, and so what we need to really do is we need to prepare for, the potential to some, for something to traverse our information technology ec- networks over into our OT networks because of the way they're being connected anymore. In my opinion, they shouldn't be connected. Um, there, In my opinion, we should have complete segmentation between IT and OT. We should still be a- able to share the data, but there needs to be a better way to do it uh, than having a flat network with all of your stuff connected to it. Yeah. Um, that you know, that's just a horrible, horrible practice. Um and 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 there's definitely a lot more people targeting OT um and critical infrastructure than there ever has been in the past. And there's tools that make it easy for people to do that. Yeah. Uh, so so that's really, you know, that's and, and like you mentioned before, always on availability, right? Uh that's not a thing in IT an it network can go down for days or weeks and eventually they'll get it fixed right um eventually uh, we can't do that with a water plant we can't do that with a wastewater plant we always need to be operating so whatever we can do to prevent any potential intrusion into our network or you know there and there's a lot of steps to do that but it's better for that you know it's better to never have an issue but to have those steps in place than to have to react to somebody taking down your plant or your sodium hydroxide up to 1,000 parts per million or whatever it was in Florida. Um, Thankfully, there's a lot of people coming out with a lot of really good uh, information on cybersecurity and OT now. Uh, It used to be a lot harder to find that information or you just kind of had to figure it out yourself.
0: Good. Yeah, I'm glad to see uh, we're progressing. I think it's like you said, like they just – it's kind of like the whole out of sight, out of mind of utilities 20 years ago. Now it's more in the public eye. So, of course, it's more in the, it's more in the hacker's eye, too, I guess, because huh? yeah. they realize that's a, a, an area they can exploit or, or you know, get into. So, yeah, yeah, good. All right. Well, I think we're at the, uh, the mid-show segment now. So for the mid-show segment, this is interesting to me. I don't know if it'll be to anyone else. You know anything about the Salton Sea in California, Daniel?
1: I have only ever heard of the Salton Sea because there is a movie about it. I saw that the documentary. You know no, no, you? it's uh, the the movie I'm thinking of is. Uh oh, man, who is the guy? <laughs> I cannot remember off the top of my head. No, it's some like it's some druggy movie type thing. Oh,
0: um, not, uh, uh, what was it with, uh, the guy from the X-Files and Brad Pitt, not that one, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. So it's, yeah uh, oh, it's called the Salton Sea. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. It's called the Salton Sea. Okay. Uh,
0: well, anyway, the Salton Sea has just got, okay, I'll read this. This is from AP. Let me see who wrote this. Kathleen. Uh, Ronay uh, from Associated Press says the federal government said Monday it will spend $250 million over four years on environmental cleanup and restoration work around a drying Southern California lake that's fed by the depleted Colorado River. The future of the Salton Sea and who is uh, financially responsible for it has been a key issue in discussions over how to prevent a crisis in the Colorado River. So uh, this here, let me give you a background on the Salton Sea. The lake is largely fed by runoff from farms in California Imperial Valley. We use Colorado River water and grow many of the nation's winter vegetables as well as feed crops like alfalfa. Uh, as farmers reduce their water use, so there you know there's a big thing on the Colorado River to what are we going to do to reduce water use? We're running out of water, but as they do that, less water goes into the Salton Sea. Which the Salton Sea now this is I'm like freestyling from this article. But it, like in 1970, some kind of project with the Colorado River, the Colorado River overflowed for a couple of years, created this giant lake in California. Then, of course, developers rushed in, built like condos. You know, it was a vacation resort. Then it dried up and started blowing all this toxic sand and salt. <laughs> like it's been a mess. I saw a documentary on it, but I guess they're. I don't know how far 250 million will go. But they got to you know, they got some money to try to. Try to clean up things there, and it's just a. It just speaks to how the drought and and kind of this whole uh, climate change is affecting water resources in a real way. So, if you get a chance, uh, for listeners, check out the salt and see. i it's cool. It's like it's almost like a ghost town, but a ghost town from like the nineteen twenties where there's you know everyone you know. There's a big resort, and then everyone just rolled out because the 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 lake dried up and toxic sand was blowing in your face. And that's, that's not a, that's not fun to resort to, you know, that's not a fun vacation. uh,
1: We have the the Lake Loveland here. Uh, It used to be owned by Loveland, but then at some point in time, the city of Greeley purchased the water rights to the lake. And every every year they draw down the lake to where it's basically just a big dust bowl. And, you know, there's all these million dollar houses, million plus dollar houses all around the lake. Um, so they've had a campaign lately to keep the lake filled during the winter because they're tired of all the dust blowing at their houses. Yeah,
0: that's it. That sounds like a mini salt and sea example. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, let's uh, let's move on. Uh, you present a paper, which is where I met you at, at the RMWA conference in Keystone recently, and uh, you gave a or, or as a presentation. Can you talk a little bit about what your presentation topic was and what you talked about there?
1: Um, so the presentation was on the paper. Uh, the paper is published on the ISA Global C- Cybersecurity Alliance blog. Um, it's called MSDR3. And basically it's uh, uh, a way to reliably handle SCADA data. Um, so there's there's a lot of different components to it. Um, but basically it, it comes down to... How do we make sure that the data that we have is reliable? There's a big focus on data reliability, um, but most of that focus is on data reliability after it's already been collected. Um, so, so they're basically assuming that we already have this data. So, how do we secure the data? Um, but there's never been that driver, that focus on okay, well, how to make how do we make sure that all of this data that we're working with is actually reliable, right? Because we could we could have a two, three, four, five year data set, but if we don't understand that that data set was 100, 100% reliable from point A to point Z, and we start trying to make process optimizations on it, um, we're making process optimizations on bad data, and then we end up getting a bad outcome from it, right? Uh, it's that, uh, the 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 bad data, like it leads to bad decisions, which leads to bad results. Um, so basically what I talk about is how do we monitor that data all the way from point A to point Z? How do we secure that data so that we make sure it's not getting changed in transit? How do we retain that data? Like what are the best methods for retaining this data? How do we get the data back and present it in some kind of a meaningful fashion so that it can be used for process optimization in the future? Um, and then where what parts of our, of our data stream can we add redundancy to so that if we do lose one specific part, we always have a backup to that? Um, so that's basically the whole driving factor. And it touches on a lot of topics all the way from the instrumentation itself um, and how we can take the how we can make the instruments more reliable, Um, you know, whether it's through physical security, through redundant instruments, uh, through multiple modes of communications, going back to your controller, um, all the way down to how do we structure our database so that it's the most efficient so that we're not recording a bunch of junk data so that we don't have to normalize data, which is basically a lot of people collect data, but then they collect it in a format that it's almost completely unusable, right? It, it takes a team of engineers a good amount of time to go through the data to make sure that number one, the data was even usable to begin with, and number two, get it into a format that they can use.
0: Yeah, um, I, I told that's a part that uh, resonates with me is that I think a lot of times I've been, I've seen where organizations will collect massive amounts of data. But to what end? It's like, unless you can make that into a graph that you can show a board or a manager or a consultant to get action on, like, what good is it all? So yeah, that exactly. whole data, like, ha- visualization and, and analytics piece of, like, great, you might have 2 million pieces of data, but unless you can boil that down into something that means something to a human, yep. like, what good is it in the end? So, yeah, I, yeah, I exactly.
1: I'm staring at a whole bunch of numbers and I don't know what they mean. data does me no good yeah so that's basically it starts it starts out by talking about monitoring where can we monitor our system to make sure that our data is good right all the way we're monitoring the device we're monitoring the plc that we're taking it into we're monitoring cpu usage um you know there's there's a whole lot of different parts of our system that we can monitor and parts some of it people don't think about as monitoring your system, but it really is like perform- performing pre- preventative maintenance and calibrations on your system, right? That's going to be another thing that we should monitor. If we're, if we're perform- performing cali- calibrations on our system, we should monitor each time it's calibrated and the, out- and the output from that calibration. That'll tell us, okay, every time we calibrate it, it's taking more and more of maybe this reagent or it's taking, you know, so maybe our, our instrument's going bad and it could potentially give us bad data in the future.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, just to... Uh, stop you there. I try to I try to limit acronyms. So you mentioned PLC CPU. Tell tell um, tell the listeners what that is.
1: All right. So the PLC is uh, basically a computer that drives your process. Uh, it's a it's a dumbed down version of a computer. Um, and essentially, we can take numerous inputs into it. So maybe we take the value of uh, we take a pH value into the PLC. Um, And then inside of that PLC, there's some kind of programming that might look at your pH value, and then it drives the output for a chemical pump to change your pH. So we can say, okay, our pH is going down. We need to give more of this chemical so our pH comes up. Um, So that is actually how we do control everything.
0: All right. All right. And then
1: CPU is, CPU is just your central processing unit. Um, you know, that is what drives your computer. That's what makes your computer work. Um, that's the thing then,
0: that it, gets real hot in there. needs the yeah. to uh, cool and down. And that's
1: <laughs> what we're monitoring on it too. We're monitoring the temperature of it. We're monitoring, okay, how much of this are we using? Is our system big enough for what we're doing, you know? And that gives us that kind of data to say, hey, we're using 98% of our CPU, 98% of the time. We need a bigger, we need a bigger computer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, cool. So, yeah, I mean, you know, there's there's different monitoring your data sources, monitoring your data intervals and monitoring your database are three of the biggest things, I think, that facilitate the reliability of your data.
0: Nice. All right. Well, let me let me ask you one more before we get into the the quiz, which I don't know if you knew there was a quiz, but there is a quiz. But uh, one more uh, final question. What, what do you think the future holds in your area? We mentioned cybersecurity. We mentioned, you know, progress as far as large amounts of data. What what things are you focusing on for the next five, 10 years out in your area?
1: So to me, I I am a big fan of machine learning and artificial intelligence. Um, I think that a lot of these engines that are driving the, the artificial intelligence stuff provide a lot of value in process optimization that we just don't see as people, you know, because and that's what I was talking. We can take mega data sets, right? We can take data sets of weather for 10 years and then data sets of our process for that same 10 years. And we can correlate all that data to automate what we do in the future. Right. So we can make predictions of what's going to happen two years down the road, five years down the road. And we can accommodate for those predictions before they before they actually need to happen. Uh, you know, we're taking population growth, um, you know, as, as many different variables from these mega data sets as we can, just to drive our process to be more and more optimal. You know, how can we save money? How can we make sure everybody's gonna have enough water? How can we, we make sure that if there's some kind of a disruption in our system, that we can accommodate for that water quality? Um, so I, I, I take a lot and that's where that SCADA data and the reliability of that data really comes into play is, you know, say we have a pump station with a whole bunch of pumps that's sending water into a tank or keeping pressure in a distribution system. Um, we can take things like the temperature of that pump, how hot is it running? Or is there a lot of vibration on it? Um, and as we record these, we can predict when our pump's going to fail right so okay we are getting a little bit a little bit more and more vibration as we run but there's no other conditions that have changed our temperature's going a little bit higher hey, our pump's probably going to fail in you know a couple of weeks a month whatever it is um so uh, machine learning and and artificial intelligence i i really think is the future of uh, process control and automation
0: nice all right well that's uh Thank you for your insights and and sharing your knowledge and uh, understanding of the, of the field with us today, Daniel. It's been it's been great learning about this. I know this is a it's a topic like uh, it's kind of some people choose not to delve into it because it is so complex and it is so you know out there. But thanks for breaking it down and simplifying it for us here today.
1: Yeah, I I I. I... I, I like talking about this stuff. So. <laughs> good,
0: good. Are you ready for the uh, end of show quiz?
1: Sure, let's get it.
0: All right. Be in December. Just turn December. Uh, I thought a Christmas quiz would be in order. I don't know how you are with Christmas uh, and Christmas movies, but we'll find out. It's a three-question quiz. Uh, and so here we go. In the movie Elf, what was the first rule of the Code of Elves? And this is multiple choice. So I'll give you multiple choice. The first rule of the Code of Elves. Was it A, always respect Santa, B, approach life with the eyes of a child, C, treat every day like Christmas, or D, no kid left behind? What's the uh, first rule of the Code of Elves?
1: Treat every day like Christmas. You
0: you got it. You're one for one. All right. Number two, Daniel. Uh, In How the Grinch Stole Christmas, the Grinch was described with what three words? This is, again, a multiple choice. Was it stink, stank, stunk? Was it B, foul, filthy, failed? Was it C, mad, maddening, malcontent? Or was it D, gross, gross, gross? Which which one did they describe the Grinch with?
1: Uh, gross, gross,
0: gross. Oh, I'm sorry. It was stink, stink, stink. Oh. That's all right. You're still 50%. You can, you can come up with two out of three on this last one, which is not, this one's a hard one. I don't know if anyone could get this, but I thought I'd throw it out there. It's not multiple choice. Uh, what type of music do elves like best? What's their favorite genre of music? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, uh, favorite genre of yeah,
0: music. I can give you my right. choice if you want.
1: Let's see. No, no, let's 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 uh let's see what kind of what kind of genre of music would elves even uh have availability to listen to? Um, is Christmas music considered a genre? <laughs> well, uh,
0: yeah, yeah, that would be a good one. I might take that. This one like deals holiday, with presents, with music, presents,
1: with uh, uh rapping
0: yes yes you got it it's <laughs> rap music daniel you are two for three i didn't think anyone would get that congratulations it is rap music that elves like the most but again All thanks right. for thanks for being here daniel and uh yeah, and sharing your insights you know? good congratulations on your promotion good luck in loveland uh to yeah. our listeners thanks for listening thanks to the uh, Rocky mountain water environment association and colorado wastewater utility council for uh, your continued sponsorship of streaming water podcast if you the listener uh have any comments ideas uh for upcoming shows or or want to get in touch uh, you can email uh streamingwater at mail.com to contact me and and uh if you have time you know this is just word of mouth advertising tell your friends tell your neighbors give us a five star review on apple podcast or whatever platform you're listening on And uh, thanks for being here, Daniel. We appreciate appreciate it, man. Appreciate it, Blair. All right. Have a good weekend, buddy.